You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to your Friday edition of the Nine Finger Chronicles. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today... We're going to have a good old-fashioned hunter profile slash BS session where I'm going to be talking with the newest member of the Sportsman's Empire, Brian Krebs. Now, you've probably heard the name Brian Krebs from his other podcast, the Two Bucks Podcast, or his uh, social media where he goes out and does a whole bunch of shed hunting and things like that. But uh, Brian is joining the Western Rookie podcast here on the Sportsman's Empire, and uh, we're going to talk about why he's so interested in Western hunting, why he's interested in shed hunting, kind of get a background on him a little bit, why he likes elk hunting and dark timber, his Western experiences, shed hunting, where he grew up, how he got into hunting, all that good stuff that uh, we all like to find out, and and it's a really uh, really good conversation today. Now... Uh, Before we get into today's episode, really quick, we're going to talk about four companies and one conservation uh, organization that uh, I think you guys all need to check out. And I'm not going to go crazy detailed into the the show or into the commercials today just want to say the names just want to get them out there and and let you guys uh, go do the research yourself if you're looking for a saddle saddle hunting accessories climbing sticks or a platform go check out tethered they have a ton of information that will help you learn more about uh, uh, saddle hunting so go check out tethered wasparchery.com discount code for 20 percent nfc two zero 20 percent off uh, wasp archery has a selection of fixed blades and mechanical broadheads my favorite is the jackhammer and the or the jackhammer three blade and the boss four blade so go check those out most of their heads are, are made in america which is awesome uh what else hunt stand it's that time of year where we're starting to plan for our out-of-state hunts you need to go to hunt stand check it out read up on all the functionality on huntstand.com and while you're there 
reading up on the functionality, check out their Pro Whitetail platform. It's basically a platform, uh, an extension of the platform for guys who are very, very serious about whitetail hunting. And so it has a rut map and a whole bunch of other cool things, huntstand.com. Last but not least, Vortex Optics. Uh, Good people, even better products. I'm a huge fan of everything that Vortex does, not only in the the hunting and shooting sports uh, community, but the conservation efforts that they, they take place in as well. So uh, VortexOptics.com, if you're looking for a spotting scope, rifle scope, red dot, rangefinder, pair of binoculars, they got it, and then read up on their VIP warranty. You bust it, break it, you send it in and fix it, and they fix it for free and send it back to you so uh vortexoptics.com lastly we want to talk about conservation in 2023 and how you can give back please go to fishandwildlife.org and see how you or your business can get two percent for conservation certified so i wanted to run through that real quick today it's a good episode hopefully you guys enjoy it please go to itunes and subscribe all of the podcasts now are going to be on youtube as, as many of them as I can record with, with quality imagery, everything is going to be on YouTube as well. I'm recording the, the interview style, um, uh, face-to-face, real audio, real people on YouTube as well. So if you're a YouTube person, go check those out. Other than that, good vibes. Make sure you're following on Instagram. I, anyway, screw it. Let's just get into today's episode with Brian Krebs. Enjoy. Three two, one. All right. On the phone with me today, Mr. Brian Krebs. Brian, what's up, man? Not much. Just living the dream life. Did I, did I say your name right? I should have asked. Yep. I should yep, have you asked before. It. Okay, good, good, man. There's a couple uh, East coast guys that uh, have been on the show before and their name is like Shawinsky, Linsky, Binsky. And I am, uh, and, and even when I ask them beforehand, how do you pronounce your name? I still get it wrong when I introduce them. And so, uh, and sometimes I just ask the people to pronounce their, pronounce their last name for me, Bob, and then say your last name. Yeah, it's that's my biggest fear when I started my podcast is butchering someone's name <laughs> for their company. And like episode four, I had a guy on and his business name was Owl Howl Game Calls. Owl how, Owl Howl or Owl Hollow? Hollow, like holler. Like Oh, holler. Okay. That's how you. Okay. But that's how it's spelled, but you don't pronounce it that way. Like that's what we're talking about, right? Exactly. It's, this old howl down. And his name was like Mike Mahala, and I, oh man, I was like sweating bullets trying to pronounce all that. You're just hoping that the introduction goes by very quickly, and then you just can get into the rest of the podcast without having to say his name again. Yeah, well, at least I could just go Mike, and that yeah. part was easy. Yep. Was exactly. Yeah, so. Well, let's see here. Today we have uh, a, a good old-fashioned BS session slash uh, Hunter Profile podcast. But I think the the first thing that I want to do is I want to kind of welcome you to the Sportsman's Empire team. Um, you are going to be sharing slash taking over responsibility of the Western Rookie podcast here coming up. And, uh, and you know, I, I vet everybody that kind of comes through the door here at the, at the Empire. And... I listened to a couple of the podcasts that, that you do, the other podcasts that you do, and I'm like, hey, man, this guy's got it together, and I think he's going to be a good fit uh, f- 
for the network. So welcome aboard, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for, you know, taking a chance on me, giving me the opportunity to take on a, a podcast that you and the team have already pretty much established and, yeah. and groomed over the last couple of years. So it's, it means a lot to me. Yeah, absolutely, man. And so I think that's kind of a place where I want to start um, is why the interest in the Western Rookie podcast? Well, it kind of falls right into like what I like doing anyway on two different fronts right so my first podcast is all about helping people start their business the western rookie is all about helping people understand the west and yeah. so it's really just comes from that base of helping people really achieve their passions and their yeah. dreams and then just on the personal side i love the west man there's nothing yeah. like it there's nothing like going out and you're driving eight ten hours you start hitting the black hills the badlands you start seeing mule deer off the side of the road you see antelope all of a sudden you're getting into the mountains, you see an elk off the road. I mean, you're just getting fired up. There's nothing yeah. like it. Yeah, I, I agree, man. Right, so where are you a, a high peaks mountain guy? Are you kind of rolling hills guy or where, where, where's your favorite? I would say I'm just a guy that looks for tags that I can draw. And go. that leads me up where it leads me. Um, we've done a little of both. I've never done any crazy high 13ers. Yeah. Um, and I've done flatland Western North Dakota whitetails. Um, we've done some Southeast Montana stuff, kind of just wherever it goes. But our bread and butter is black timber elk. Yeah, that's really where we end up usually most years. Gotcha. What is it about elk that kind of captivates you? They're just these like wild, elusive mountain horses with daggers on them. <laughs> I mean, it's running around the hills with swords. They're ghosts. Um, man the way they bugle yeah. i've been fortunate enough to be close a couple of times and you chest rattles yeah. like they bugle so loud your chest starts rattling and mm -hmm. vibrating yep man I, i'll tell you this i've had a couple experiences where i've had an animal an 800 pound gigantic elk come right behind me at 40 yards and I, we didn't even know he was there. We were, we were focused on one direction and I had a guy back down behind us. He was bugling and I, I saw a cow kind of skirt by me and I turn around and look and there stood this gigantic Colorado high country, dark, you know, black timber. And he came in silent. And later that week we were playing, you know, who can bugle the loudest with um, a bedded elk and he he was letting them rip and we were we were probably inside that 80 yard range and you know you like you said you feel it in your chest and he came when he stood up he came crashing and it sounded like a dump truck getting driven through the the hillside there and uh they i can't i can't understand how they can be so loud and so quiet all at the same time yeah, it's wild. I mean, at, at points, you really think you're, like, chasing down a dinosaur because you right. can't see it. It's making all this noise. Right. The whole woods is echoing. And then at other times, I mean, I had a five-point bull at 45 yards, and there was a pine tree that he had to clear. Like, I could see his butt. Yeah. And he's like, two steps, this bull's dead. Yeah. And he took one step, and I couldn't see him, and I was waiting for that second step. I'm at full draw. Disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. Man. It's like, where did this thing go? I can see everywhere around Right. Me. No, no, so no noises, no sights, just gone. Yeah. Just a ghost. Yeah. And you know, and, uh, we were hunting in some timber with a lot of deadfall and 
me climbing over that, I'm a much smaller creature, but me climbing <laughs> over that and then how they kind of, you know, squiggly th- their way through everything, I just can't, like, it, it still blows my mind talking about it. But that's one animal, man, that I I got to start hunting more because every year my knees get a little worse and a little worse and a little worse and my back is starting to go. And so I'm getting old and I need to start elk hunting more just so I have life left in my body. Go do those hunts. Oh yeah. Yeah. My brother is, um, he's kind of the lead elk guru in our group and, uh, he's getting up there. I mean, he's a half brother, but he's 24 years older than me. So he's 50, 55, 56. Um, this coming elk season actually at 53 um but same thing right like yeah. we're trying to make the most of it and, and eventually you're gonna have to, you see people doing llamas and horses and yep. like it's that's where you're at yep yep someday i'm like i'm i'm hands down in mule deer mode right now and i've said this a, a lot whenever i talk about the west but there's something about a mule deer that is really captivating my interest right now so i'm trying to learn on how to how to do that when it comes to western species where are you at? Are, are you, would you still consider yourself a rookie of sorts? Um, it's certain disciplines for sure. You know, I've, I've been a part of a lot of archery elk kills, but I haven't had one with my bow yet. I've, but I've shot two monsters with my rifle. Yeah. Um, I haven't spot and stocked mule deer to archery yet, but I've shot a bunch with my rifle. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's just certain things I'm really good at. I'm really good at understanding odds, looking at data, picking apart units and drawings and then certain things I'm still kind of new at as well. So it's, I'm kind of in this quasi experienced rookie zone. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, especially when, man, and I think that's where eventually I, I see myself going on a couple of these hunts with a rifle just to pop my proverbial cherry. You know what I mean? And then yeah. say, okay, I have a mule deer under my belt. Look now, Let's get back into the bow hunting side of things. And but every year I say something like that, it's time to start picking what seasons I want to go. And I always find myself back into trying to get it done with a bow. Yeah, there's something cool about spot and stock, and it definitely gives you a lot of opportunity just yeah. by the nature of what they're doing that time of year and it's easy to get tags. But you know, I always tell people there's only so much you can learn in like a nine day hunt. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And if you're trying to start by doing like a high country archery mule deer or archery elk, there's you there's so much that goes into that hunt and there's only so much you can learn. And it's so hard. Like there's right. so much about hunting the West that doesn't even involve the animal that you need to learn. Yeah. Like what kind of camp gear I need, how to navigate roads, how to pick apart a unit. And it's like I tell people it's really easy to learn those on like a rifle antelope hunt or a rifle deer hunt. And now you got that in the toolkit. And yeah. then you step it up, yeah. You know, and then eventually you get to that, you know, above timberline yeah. yield your hunt. Yeah. Oh man, I'm starting to get fired up for this fall, man. I I want to I want to mule deer so bad, man. I want to mule deer so bad, and and I don't know why. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with some of the media that I've consumed in the last ten years, and I just keep I I come up really. I I mean I love mule deer in the plains that's where i spend most of my time but my dream is that twelve thousand foot high country spot and stock you know you're you're 
you're like a mile away from them with a spotter. You watch them bed down. You're taking a big giant loop in, dropping down on them or whatever, whatever the scenario is. And so that is, that's my dream right there. And uh, someday, man, I'm going to make that happen. I hope anyway. Well, there's a lot of people that do say that a giant mule deer, big mature mule deer are one of the hardest animals to hunt because there's no patterns. There's no calling, right? It's just you versus them. And man, are they hard to sneak in on with a stick and a string. Yeah, man, that, that thousands of years of evolution type, you know what I mean? Like I I can't, and I, I feel like a whitetail can't do this as well as a mule deer can. and, And maybe I'm biased, but when I'm walking through the plains, they can hide they can disappear and hide so easy compared to like a whitetail uh, where a whitetail will run away and you can just kind of watch it disappear where a mule deer may not run all the way away. They might stop, turn back and then drop down into a cut and then you never see them again. And so they, they're like the Houdinis of, uh, of the wild kingdom. Yeah. I think they just become expert navigators. Whereas a lot of whitetails, they're not in a landscape where like navigation, like mountaineering, as yeah. we would put it, is like yeah. a part of their toolkit. They're just like, hey, there's food, there's bedding. I'm going to just walk this highway between them every day until yeah. something stops me. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, where are you from? I grew up in central Minnesota, Alexandria. Okay. okay. How far is that, that from a, the cities? That's about two hours up 94 from the cities. Okay. Okay. I went to school in North Dakota, and that really opened. That was kind of the gateway to the West, getting out of college and then going with the elk hunting group. And then North Dakota, I can hunt the West in that state, so I can get resident yeah. tags to hunt some Western whitetail, Western muley. I got the elk tag in North Dakota. And now, man, I love living there. And then currently, we just moved back to the Twin Cities. Okay. My wife is finishing her pharmacy residency at uh, the Children's Hospital down here. So I'm here now. And so we're trying to like shed hunting, kind of find all new spots, kind of yeah. kind of start over. But we're still two hours. I've always kind of been two hours from the home farm in Alexandria. So that's yeah. kind of nice. Well, I really like the plan of attack there. And it, that is have your wife make all the money. So then all you have to do is is just provide the meat and, and, shed, and go shed hunting. Yeah. The problem <laughs> is I do have my own set of golden handcuffs. I'm an electrical engineer. Okay. Um, as well. So it's. I, it, it's a good plan. I don't, I'll have to, I'll have to Houdini some stuff to make that work. But I do know some people that they, I mean, they hunt and fish full yeah. time and their wives are the, the just expert breadwinners. Right. Well, you can always be a consultant, right? With that, with those golden handcuffs, man. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You can always do stuff. You can work from home, which is a huge, that's oh, yeah. a big one. So I can work. I mean, if my deer stands had Wi-Fi, I could work from the deer stands. Wouldn't that be awesome? I would I would be able to spend more time in the woods if there was Wi-Fi out in the woods. But then at the, at the same time, I would be like, hey, listen, I'm not really escaping anything at this point. And then we start to get into the, oh, man, like you're not really disconnecting. You're not focusing on deer. You're just out there and a deer walks by and you shoot it. And it's less, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how I, I'll say this, I need to get out and escape Wi-Fi and phones and, and <laughs> I hate to say it, but kids too. So, uh, I don't know, man. Yeah, I would, 
I would probably leverage that a little bit more for your right. like rifle season white tail. There you go. You're in a redneck blind. There you go. You got your computer. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. So the first time I was introduced to you, and what I mean by that is I saw you was the the videos where you know you're you're recording like this and you're saying, Hey man, I'm out here trying to find some sheds. And, uh, I don't, I just can't find them. And then right down below you is like a match set or whatever. Why, why shed hunting and why so much time and energy uh, put into shed hunting? I, I, uh, I really don't know. I mean, I had a buddy kind of, a, I use buddy a little bit loosely. He was a cousin of a cousin. So my my cousin was a part owner in our family farm. Mm-hmm. He was a cousin of that, so he's once removed. So he bow hunted the same farm, and so we we're kind of friendly, but at the same time, we're kind of both after the same resource. And yep. he was a big shed hunter, and so that kind of opened my eyes to like how many sheds kind of you could find. And he was finding forty, fifty a year back then, and in, in the twenty tens. And so something just I caught the bug, and then I brought him out to the farm trying to. Um, shed hunt with him and learn because i had never found one and he finds a shed and it was just a two-year-old shed and i was like oh that is so cool but he kept it because he found it and i wasn't really there's shed ethics which is kind of weird oh yeah yep yeah like who even if it's my farm if you find it you keep it and i didn't really know that so when he kept it i was kind of like there's just something inside of me that's like I want to go find my own now (laughs) so i went the next morning i hit the whole farm again and i ended up finding um a five-year-old shed that's on the top wire behind me to the the number one hit lister and it was a buck that had a sticker on his brow tie and it was that side yeah and then like picking that antler up like everything changed i don't know what it was but just picking up that antler i just knew like from then on i was addicted to shed hunting yeah something about picking them up where you get more you know a great season for me i get to shoot two antlers but a great shed season i can pick up 40 yeah yeah man I'll, i'll tell you something back in the day I would say early 2010s, late 2000s, dude, I was a walking fool. No job, no wife or girl. <laughs> like I got laid off. And I can remember years where I went and went and went. Now, I never found 40, uh, but I was, dude, I, there was really back then, there was no rules when I was going to. Like I hopped fence, <laughs> I hate to say this, but I hopped fence lines. And even, even to the point where I would run into the landowner while I'm on his property and he would be like, Hey man, uh, what are you doing out here? And I said, Oh, I'm just looking for shed antlers. And he goes, Oh, okay. <laughs> and so, and yeah. so, you know, it was, a, it was a whole different world back then compared to, you know, now I wouldn't even, even get close to a fence to go do something like that. So uh, like the shed game has changed and it's, it's really become more popular and, and things like that. What's the typical shed season look like for you? On average, um, you know, this is going to be an atypical season cause it's my first full shed season down here in the twin cities. And, yeah. and that's going to be challenging. But when I was in North Dakota, we had, so we were starting to really pick apart some publics and understand them and we were doing pretty good. Um, you know, I pulled 20 sheds off of a public piece in one weekend last year pulled eighth off a different piece and so i was doing those on weekends if i got off work early but then i would try to always go to south dakota we we have a ranch that we work with um people are listening probably know it's the browns hunting ranch it's not a secret um phenomenal pheasant lodge beautiful and then you can come and basically it's it's room and board Mm -hmm. 
and the shed hunting's free. So it's a great spring vacation. Get out of the house. It's beautiful. Oh, awesome. It's on Lake Wahi. So that was a big one. And then just bouncing around the home farm. I always shed hunt the home farm, but I never find a lot. And so that's kind of what the average season looks like. But as I get more into it, you know, I'm like, you, I'm looking west. There's something about finding a big four-point mule shed yeah. that I just want to do and um, finding some elk sheds. We got some works with Dan Matthews and in in, in one of our other podcast guests on Electric Sermon Rookie to yep. get out and find some elk sheds. So that's kind of what the average season looks for. It's just trying to get out as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. And so what's, your, what's been your best season? How many, how many antlers in your best season? Last year, I found 46. If you count that elk shed hanging off that post, okay. I found that archery hunting. But I kind of count, you know, if I find one in the fall, that kind of counts towards gotcha. that winter. So in a like given a year. Hockey season. Yeah, in a given year, 46. Yeah. Okay. 46. I, I think my best year was 22. And I think I scooped one big antler, and then the rest were nothing but little four points or little, you know, like coming from a two-year-old or maybe a, a you know a three-year-old but nothing but then i've had years where i've only found like nine but the nine that i found were all in this one field and they were all like from really good deer and uh, i found i think i found on that particular hunt i found nine sheds i found 11 sheds in one season nine came on a 45 minute walk around the buffer strips in this uh, cut cornfield and i was just like i dude i i can't i don't know about you but i whenever i found a find a even if it's a small shed i get geeked out to the max man i'm just like yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and that's part of why shed hunting is so fun is because yeah. when you're bow hunting and you see that same buck that forky walking yep. under your stand yep at least me i'm kind of like i kind of wish that was a doe because i have a doe tag and i'm yeah. out here trying to bring some meat in the freezer but when you find that shed, like you, you're able to like be more excited about that animal. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I, I need to spend more time. Uh, like my life is so busy right now. I, I love shed hunting and I love, it's an opportunity to take the kids out. I just need to, I need to do more of it. Yeah. You got a couple irons in the fire from what I've heard, but you're right in the Mecca, man. You're <laughs> yeah. right in the heart of the best. I mean, you got like every from, I kind of understand where you are, but I mean, north south east you got a couple different directions of some pretty good deer habitat yeah now it's just access for iowa now getting yeah. getting on uh, a piece of property every year becomes harder and harder and harder and uh i got a couple pieces that i'm going to pick apart over the next two weeks and, and hopefully i can get out and make at least two maybe three really good walks on some of these farms but outside of that then it just then it starts to interfere with activities and, and stuff like that so I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah. For me, I mean, I gave up the turkey hunting. Yeah. I do shed hunting and then I do food plotting. And I, there's in that season, there's no room for anything else. And so I was the world's worst turkey hunter anyway. So I, <laughs> that was an easy one to sacrifice. Priorities, right? Yeah. All right. So did you come from a an outdoors family or are you are you running solo? No, I had a pretty strong outdoor family. Um you know, my, especially my dad's side, they were all farmers. Okay. And so it was a very sustenance hunting background where it was shoot deer. I mean, some of these people, it was shoot deer to sort of like eat and survive through the winter back yeah. in some of like the Dust Bowl. And so we've always had a pretty strong uh, open water fishing, a little bit of hard water fishing, and very strong pheasant and orange army deer hunting mm -hmm. 
traditions in our family. And then um, my brother kind of got the bug for the West a little bit sooner than me. Obviously, he had done some elk hunts with my dad. Right. And then that's what really opened up the the Western. But yeah, definitely grew up in the outdoors. Okay. And so how did it start? I mean, were you just tagging along with everything that, that dad and older brother did? As much as they let me, yeah. yeah. I mean, we grew up on a lake, a small lake. And so I was fishing off the dock as yeah. soon as I could get a boat. I mean, I was rowboating and then I got a little old motor and one cylinder was shot in it, but it still had enough <laughs> go to, to get me to the other side. And, um, yeah, I remember five years old, dad started letting me like carry a BB gun just to practice carrying a gun pheasant hunting. Yeah. And then my arms would get tired and he'd tell me to like pull up on a pheasant and practice. <laughs> and, um, right about five, six is when they started bringing me on a couple like weekend North Dakota pheasant hunts, uh, going to Canada fishing for a week. And then not really anything, you know, I'd sit in the deer stand with them, but there's a lot of trips out West that I had to sit there at home and I was just chomping at the bit to, to yeah. get my uh, pass. Yeah. Yeah. And so what did you get kicked off? Like most kids do in like a rifle season and then go to archery or was that kind of all intermixed? Um, I shot my first deer. We have shotgun where we are. And so I did, you can shoot, I think you could shoot one with your dad before you take firearm safety. Like you can hunt with 11 if there's some goofy rule. So I did that, but then right off to 12 years old, I was bow hunting. Yeah. I don't know why because dad quit bow hunting years ago. just got too busy with business. And my brother didn't really bow hunt until we started elk hunting. And the only reason he has a bow is because elk bugle in September. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I but yeah, you. I remember dad would only let me climb like five feet up in a tree stand because he was worried <laughs> about me falling out. So there I am sitting where my head could be in a tree stand trying to shoot something with a bow and um, bow hunted ever since. Yeah. Man, I, I don't know. Like, there's something about bow hunting. And I, I think for those who get it, get it. Like, I don't really need to go into to too much detail other than there's something about bow hunting. And are you the guy who is, because I mean, you, you mentioned this earlier, that you're an open tag. If, if there's a tag that can be filled, I, I want to go hunt it. Do you prefer bow hunting over rifle or is it kind of all, all the same for you? It, it, man, it's, that's a tough one to answer. Um, I think shooting things with my bow is great, mm -hmm. but it's, it's a lot harder. I mean, yeah. so that elk, my North Dakota elk on the floor behind me, that was a, a rut hunt. I shot him on September 8th, but it was rifle. Yeah. It was any weapon. So I used my rifle because I'm like, this is the best odds to, to bring yeah. the animal home. But yeah, there's something about using a bow. Like when it works, it, there's nothing better. Right. Yeah. Oh, wait. Okay. North Dakota. Um, are you putting in for your, your lifetime moose hunt? Your once in a lifetime moose hunt? I was. Um, that's only resident. So now I had to give that up. Oh crap. That's right. So yeah. Okay. So you were a resident and now you're not a resident. And so, okay. All right. Cause my buddy Lucas, he lives out in Western North Dakota. And uh, I think, I think his, his wife just got a moose, her moose tag filled this year. I think he's still waiting, but she is, uh, uh she got a, a moose this, this past year. And he's like, dude, it is one of the most amazing, even if it's with a, a rifle or whatever, it's one of the most amazing hunts you can be on just because of the sheer size of the animal. Yeah. 
yeah, when you start looking at like the Northwest and I don't know what corner, obviously she got her moose in, but yeah. there are some monster bulls in the Northwest. Same with elk. I mean, some of the biggest elk in the country have been shot in the Western North Dakota units. Yeah. Um, there's a 437 that was shot. I was on a bull that was, um, in the 380 to 390 range, I had Ryan Carter, if you know who that is, a DC outfitter guy out in Utah that's like really specializes in guiding on 400 inch bulls. Yeah. And I asked him to score it, and he's like, "Dude, that's a monster." I mean, he's knocking at the door. Yeah. He's close. Like, stay on him. Um, and he moved, and a landowner got that bull. But yeah, there's some the north. What North Dakota is definitely a sleeper state for resident hunting. There's a lot of great opportunity there. What's the now I know my buddy Lucas. He hunts a lot of public out west, uh, western North Dakota. But what around where you hunt in, or where you live in Minnesota, and where you hunt in uh, in North Dakota, is there a lot of public land opportunities there? Uh, there's not a ton of pieces, but there some of their publics are really good in North Dakota. Mm-hmm. Um, there's more pieces in Minnesota, but they're, the quality isn't quite the same. And I think it's just different strategies with the game and fish department. So North Dakota, they'll plant food. And I don't know if they're planting it from game and fish or they're just working with local producers to plant food plots and then leave. Half, like Maybe it's you can rent the land for free if you leave half of it standing type of a thing. Gotcha. But some of those North Dakota publics are amazing. North Dakota's also got that um, that law that says unposted land can be hunted without permission. Yeah. And so there's a lot of, there's what you would I basically say permission land, auto-granted permission. Yeah. There's a lot of that in North Dakota. Um, so I've definitely leveraged public land. I shot that bull on public. I didn't even worry about asking for permission on any yeah. private. Got, well, that's awesome. So so the, the opportunity in North Dakota is there, it sounds like. Yeah. 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 Less people, less people good land minnesota people are doing it on public all the time too but since we have i mean we have about 650 acres in the family between about half and half egg and habitat so we just kind of stick to our own thing and yeah. you know not have to deal with the three trucks at the trailhead type yeah. of stuff and, yeah. and let other people use that that don't have the land in their yeah. back pocket and I've, I've talked to uh a couple guys who live in that area garrett Prawl from the diy sportsman is one of them and uh he's he's kind of become a you know, a killer up there in, uh, in, in the surrounding areas where he hunts in the public. And it's, you know, obviously around the cities and I'm sure you know this, it's, it's very heavily pressured public, but guys, man, guys find a way to get it done. Yeah. Well, everyone knows. I mean, that's Lee Lukowski's origin story is shooting monster bucks in the twin cities Metro while he was an engineer for Coke. (laughs) Yeah, that's a fact. And then, uh, and then he, he moved down to Iowa and started shooting bigger deer. Yeah. Well, I don't know. He sh- I think he shoots the big ones more often down in Iowa. But right. he was shooting some monsters in some of these hidden bow hunting only places up here in the metro. Um, yeah. And so it's it's doable. People do it every year. I'm just kind of, you know, I got a limited time just like most guys. And, yeah. and I, if I'm going to get that time away, I'd rather just sit in my tree stand that's already hung. Yeah watching a food plot I worked on and feel good about and see a buck that I maybe had on camera all summer, hopefully for multiple summers. Yeah. So I want to talk to you a little bit about, I find your other podcast. uh, What's the name of your other podcast called? Yeah. The two bucks podcast, the two bucks podcast. And uh, we're scheduled to talk on that uh, later on this week, but I am, I'm curious, you know, a lot of people in our space, similar to what I do, 
you know, we talk stories, we talk uh, strategy and tactics in the actual hunting side of things. And so you started this two bucks podcast and correct me if I'm wrong. It's a lot about starting and creating business within the the hunting space. Elaborate on that for us. Yeah, you got it. Um, you know, I've, I, I talk a lot yeah. and my wife is the first to, the first to say <laughs> podcasting is perfect for you. Um, and so I knew I wanted to do a podcast and I knew, you know, nothing good gets built overnight. Like if I want a podcast that really has momentum behind it, I just got to start. Yeah. But what should it be? And like you said, there's a lot of them already established in that space of talking about stories and tactics, rutcation. And I'm like, I don't want to compete because there's already plenty of good content out right. there. Right. I want to find something different, unique, you know, so I brought it back to like, what are my passions? Well, hunting and business. All right, there you go. And it seems like every one of us, man, at some point in our life have said, I would love to hunt and fish for a living. Right. And so that's really what we're trying to get at is help people, inspire people, teach, learn, show tips and tricks, how to start your business, how to maybe start investing in yourself, investing in your future. Yeah. Well, that's cool, man. I, I like the angle for that podcast because, I mean, I'm sure, I don't know if you get this as much, but dude, every month or week, I feel like I get it. Hey man, I'm just trying to break in because I want to do this for a living. How can I do it? And so the, I get, that's one question that I get asked so much. It's, uh, it's good to now say, Hey man, I could go like, Hey, go listen to this dude's podcast because he, he actually talks with people about that specifically. And it might give some good ideas. So, uh, in, in the, I haven't listened to every episode that you've put out, but a lot, I've listened to a couple, man. And I, I really dig the, the theme that you're, that you're going with there. Yeah. And I mean, obviously when you get two guys in, in the same call that both love hunting, there's a hunting story rabbit hole right. that we dive down pretty much every episode, but but yeah, it's the simple things. You know, when I had that, that North Dakota bull tag, I was, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I got a cubicle. I'm in the cubicle. Yep. I, I push a pencil for a living. And so, you know, I always knew, you know, growing up in the country, cousins and farm, uh, worked on some farms. Like I always knew I wanted to get back to like outdoors doing my own thing. Yeah. And I knew that it takes time. Like you got to start somewhere. So I started bull elk beard oil, a beard oil company. Yep. But that whole summer, I'm like, man, how do I start this? I can't even think of a good name. I don't know how to do sales tax. I don't know how to report it. I don't know what business structure I need to be. I don't know how to make a website or pull an email. All these things that kept me from doing it for like six months. And actually, the moment I woke up, walked up on that bowl, laying down, he was in a washout. It was flatland. It was wet. His, his dark fur on his neck was all beaded up. It looked really rugged and gnarly. And walking up on him, it was like that when it washed over me the clarity and I was like it's no longer a if it's a win mm -hmm. and it's going to be bull elk beard oil and yeah. it was like that moment like that's what I'm trying to help people get to in their own lives is like that feeling I had yeah whether that's underwater basket weaving or another <laughs> beard oil like I want people to have that level right. of energy yeah. right man that's awesome that's awesome so following your dream one step at a time yeah. Yeah. We had Eric Clark on the, on the podcast. Okay. Hunter. Um, I know he's kind of the rival network, but he made a good statement. He's like, every day I'm just trying to put a small bet on mm -hmm. my future. Yeah. Like that's what I'm doing here with this is I'm just placing one small bet after another. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I can agree with that. Um, and so where do you see the two bucks 
podcast kind of going? Is it, does this have a, does this have a, a lifespan or is this something that you can see that just keeps going and going and going? I'm not quite sure yet. You know, we're 30 episodes in. Tomorrow we'll put the 30th one up. So it, it's still new compared to other people's podcasts. I know you've been doing this since uh, Moby Dick was a minnow. And, <laughs> you know, Gritty's up into the 300s. And everyone yeah. knows Rogan's cracking 2000. So, you know, there's some podcasts that definitely have some legs under them. Um, I don't know. I think inspiration, though, and storytelling, there's always there's always room for that. And, yeah. you know, it might get tricky. Maybe we have to get a couple of repeat guests on, but that's not the end of the world either. Mm-hmm. So I think there's – as long as people are saying, I wish I could hunt and fish for a living, I think there's opportunity to keep the podcast rolling. Yeah, I agree 100%. I, I, I love the – I don't know. when I Whenever I – you know, like Marvel. Marvel never releases – an origin story first, I would say it's, there's always a, a Wolverine movie and then the origin story comes after that. And so it's like, everybody wants to know what's hot and what's awesome now, but then after it's awesome and it's hot, then everybody's like, well, how did they get here? You know, how, how did, you know, how did this all pan out? And so I think stories like that definitely need to be told because it's part of the entire journey and just like any given person's life. Right. And I think, you know, for example, using you as an example, a lot of people probably listen to the nine fingers chronicles and be like, man, Dan Johnson has it made. Like he's got the <laughs> life. And they probably say like, I wish I could do that, but X, Y, and Z, that's yeah. why I can't. Well, if you told your story, like, dude, I started this. You know, me and a buddy got together. Um, me and the guy named Mark decided to start recording our conversations, and people started liking it. And also, yeah. you know, and then one thing led to another, and like kind of just accidentally ended up at Sportsman's Empire. Yeah. And then that person's like, oh, he started from like the exact same spot I am in. Right. So right. now they see what's possible and they can start dreaming. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I like how you ended that, that last sentence, dreaming. All right. So. You know, you said you got the golden handcuffs with the the uh, engineering job. Like, you have this podcast that is talking about people's dreams becoming reality. Do you ever see yourself stepping out of what you went to school for and then trying to do what you're doing now full time? Oh, certainly, certainly do. Um, I want to be intelligent about it, and I think that's a that's part of the things we talk about on the podcast. I ask people, you know, what's your what's your take on you know, diving in head first, quitting the job, putting yourself up against the wall or, you know, taking a little bit more structured. There's a lot of truth is there's a lot of guys out there that have three kids, a wife, mm-hmm. um, they got a mortgage and a car payment and X, Y, and Z. It's like, I don't know if that's a good idea to just jump ship and head first into the, into the pool because you got a lot of people banking on you. And yeah. so maybe that's something you can find where you can do it both end. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm a guide on the weekends. And I still have my day job. I use that against my W-2. I can do, there's tax, there's tax benefits to stuff like that. You know what I mean? So it's like, you don't always have to jump ship. Right. Right. And, you know, man, this is going to sound, I don't know if this sounds bad or not, but I always say it's the same with a hunting story. If a guy goes out on public land and is against all odds and he gets the job done under a, a difficult set of circumstances, that to me, that story there is more impressive than the guy who shows up to an outfitter and shoots a deer, right? Like 
I, I really do. I really like those stories. The same, the same thing. And maybe I'm being a bit biased here, but the same thing with any type of business story. Like, don't get me wrong. I like guys who work hard and grind, but if you work hard and grind and you're single and you're in your early twenties or you don't have any kids or you're not married, dude, it's expected that you're going to be able to have more time and energy to put into any given project. But then I listen to, you know, I see the guys similar to myself who three kids, full-time job, you know, wife, activities, other responsibilities, and they're going out and they're getting it done too. I feel like that just makes for a better story. Yeah, and you'd be surprised when you start talking to people like I have about that, how many people started from us like square one, yep. just like you are. Yep. I mean, it's everyone looks at companies and to think like they see the now, mm-hmm. but they don't realize how long it took. Like Morgan Freeman said, it took me 30 years of grinding to get discovered overnight. Yeah. Yeah. The joke, like obviously, I'm yeah, busting it for a long time. People just didn't see that. Right. Right. That's a good point. Now, another kind of dream, uh, we're, we're talking, you know, this is a hunting podcast, man. Like what's your dream now moving forward? Maybe your dream for this season and in like a lifetime dream of being a hunter or, or collecting additional hunting skills, or where do you see yourself as a outdoorsman and and a hunter in, you know, this year, five years, 10 years and so on? Yeah, well, you know, the archery elk is always number one mm-hmm. on the yearly list until it gets done, right? Like, there's something about September in the black timber, bulls are bugling. Um, that's always going to be up there. Yeah. I think a big part of what I am as well as a land steward growing up with the farm and doing food plots. I mean, eight years old, I was bouncing along on the back of the disc while dad was working food plots to add weight. Yeah. I mean, we've had a long journey since then, but I would love to be able to buy and manicure properties maybe flip them, get the ball rolling, doing a whitetail management lifestyle as well. Yeah. And then sky's the limit, man. I got big dreams. That's, I am not short on dreams. So Alaska, Yukon moose would be amazing. I want to do archery brown bear. Um, Sheep would be great. That's a tricky one. Yep. We're going to get a guy on the Western rookie. I'm working on it though. He did his sheep slam with a bow. So it's going to be a great, great guest in the next couple of weeks here but you know there's there's so much opportunity in the yeah. hunting world it's almost like you can't fit it all in into one lifetime yeah. very few are fortunate enough to have that so yeah i don't think there's any shortage of dreams yeah i see these i see these guys and, and really outside of so like here's my bucket list um obviously i haven't killed a, an elk yet i need to kill a mule deer yet okay so that's the two those are probably going to be the two easiest ones um, and then I want to kill a caribou and I want to kill, well, I'm going to throw pronghorn in with, uh, mule deer and elk. I want to kill an, uh, a caribou and I want to kill a, a moose similar to what you're talking about, like a big Yukon Valley moose or whatever. And so those are the five that are the closest within reach. And then I think about some of these guys who have, um, who have completed something like this. I think it's called the super slam. And it's just like all these North American whitetails or uh, all these North American animals, all these, uh, you know, uh, sheep out in like Pakistan and, and crazy locations like that, uh, Africa, a whole bunch of African animals. And I, I go, those people literally dedicate their life 
to accomplishing those types of goals. And I don't think I'm ever going to be able to, to take it to that level, nor do, nor do I want to. I feel like North America is my home and outside of maybe a, um, a hunt for, I guess maybe red stag sometime in, in my life, yeah. either in Argentina or in New Zealand. Outside of that, I just feel like as far as me and my goals, it's all going to be North American based. Yeah, there's something special about what we've got here in North yeah. America. And, and we'd be amiss to like, hit on the fact that, you know, like what we have with the North American conservation model. Yeah, There's no other country in the world that comes cl- close. Canada's pretty near it, but, you know, it's, we got something special that a yeah. lot of countries don't have. They got yeah. cool animals, but they don't have the ability to go and, and apply your life and your passions to them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I agree, man. There's so much to do in North Dakota or North America. I mean, you'll never get sick of shooting an elk with your bow. I no. guarantee it. No, no, I gotta, I gotta do that. And so I, I, it's right on my desk here. I have, uh, it's in a little box on permanent marker. I have it written down of all the, the, the those, those five animals that I want to get, you know, ac- that I want to accomplish and I'm on my way and I'm, it just takes, you know, it, it's not, it's not something that happens overnight. And, uh, hopefully this year I, I, uh, I uh, pop my cherry on mule deer, and I can get uh, and I can get an elk some year. And I got I got the preference points, uh, but I just have to to plan everything out and, and go do it. Now I don't have preference points on moose or caribou, but it's uh, it's uh, it's definitely a dream. Out, outside of that, though, what's uh, what's this season looking like for you? We are well in a couple weeks, hopefully. If it works out, we'll be down, me and Dan Matthews will be down in Arizona, New Mexico, Southwest Colorado, picking up elk antlers. Okay. So I'm excited about that. Um, we'll do the standard whitetail stuff at the home farm. And so we're really lucky with opportunity. We have a good deer populations. We're, we're still trying to grow our age class on our bucks. That's, you know, Minnesota Orange Army. It's yep. tough. Yep. We, we've been doing good, though. We've been more years than not. We're hitting one in the group between 140 and 160. And, um, but there's a lot of does and I'm a big wild game cooker. You know, I'm not a, sh- I wouldn't call myself a chef, but I love cooking and right. I love cooking with wild game. And so I'll, um, we can shoot, I think I can shoot up to five does and still get my buck. If I utilize all the early doe seasons and all the stuff mm-hmm. um, So that'll be bow hunting and gun hunting, muzzle loader, smoke pulling at the home farm. And then we are actually going to be in Southwest Colorado. Um, well, I think Southwest Colorado, we'll be in Colorado archery hunting where right. the group is still undecided which unit we're going to do, but I'm really hoping yeah. it's going to be Southwest Colorado. Dude, uh, Southwest Colorado is gorgeous. Uh, I used to hunt over there. Oh, South of Montrose. And then, uh, drove further South than that, uh, North of Durango, uh, for, and, and dude, that, that, that is when, whenever I, I, I think of Rocky mountains. That's what I, that's what I think of is that, that Western Colorado, what, I guess, what do they call that? The Western slope, uh, yeah, over there. And so dude, it's, it's absolutely gorgeous back there. Yeah. Yeah. So that we'll be doing that. Um, my wife finishes her residency in July and she's, she came from a hunting family. She, nope. Their family doesn't quite have the bug like I do, but right. I, I'm, you know, hook, line and sinker. And so she's talked about wanting to get out and do an antelope hunt. So we'll see if there's time in the schedule this year. We'll probably be building a house as well. You know, things add up. So it might be too much to take on. 
Um, I'll be in Canada fishing for a week. We do that every year in the family. So, you know, not hunting related, but outdoorsman related. And so we'll see what other things we can add on. I really love doing like a three day, four day weekend. When I lived in North Dakota, it was great because I could do that three day antelope hunt or a yeah. three day mule deer hunt and not really need to take vacation. Yeah. It didn't hit as hard. So, um, we'll see what we can do. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, I tell you what, Brian, man, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and uh, BS with me for a little bit. Welcome to the Sportsman's Empire. Thanks for uh, jumping on board, and uh, I'm excited to see what uh, content comes out of the Western Rookie, man. Yeah, we got some big stuff happening. Um, I made the internal decision that we will have some free pack lists available through the Western Rookie by the time the Western season sits. So I know everyone that does it already probably already got your list. But for those of you that are new to the Western game, we're going to come out with whether or not you're doing an archery high country or a, you know, a big rifle camp. We'll have some some starter packing list for you just for the gear that you'll yeah. need to be successful and have fun. Yeah, that's funny you mentioned that. Like, I can remember the very first year I went into the mountains and hunted elk. I brought so much shit with me. Like, <laughs> I was just like, I need eight pair of this and seven pair of this. And like, and so I had prepped, I had, I had prepped for like new socks and underwear every single day. And I had prepped for like all this food and, and all these bars and I didn't even use half of it. So it was just like additional weight. And uh, by the end of it, I was just like mentally defeated. And so now I live a very minimal like very minimal pack list, you know, obviously the necessities like water and, and, and your, your, uh, your cooking utensils and things like that and your tent and your pad and your sleeping bag. But like outside of that, it's all, it's like nothing. I don't, I, I take hardly anything with me anymore. And I know that if, if shit hits the fan, like unless I break my leg or, you know, or, or have a major issue like that, I can just like head back to my truck. So that, and that's one thing I never, I, I need to write my stuff down. I don't, I just throw it all in a corner when the season's over. And then I'm like, okay, it's still there. Let me just put it back in my truck. Yeah. I think that's part of the reason why Dan nominated me is because I showed him, <laughs> I have every pack list from every hunt I've ever gone on. I have spreadsheets for every uh, point system, every season that I have a tag for. I have a Gantt chart where, where yeah. these seasons are open and closed and how they overlap. Um, but yeah, that's a big thing we see is when we bring new people, they overpack on a lot of things and underpack on other stuff. Like, yeah. Yeah. I feel you. All right, man. Well, I appreciate your time and uh, we'll talk to you when we talk to you. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Dan. And there you have it. Another, another set of interviews for this week in the books. Huge shout out to Brian, not only for taking time to do the podcast, but for hopping on the Western Rookies podcast as well. Uh, huge shout out to Tethered, Wasp, HuntStand, and Vortex. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. And last but not least, 2% for Conservation and Vort and, uh, and FishAndWildlife.org. Go check that out. Good vibes in, good vibes out, and we'll talk to you next week.